Um, you probably noticed if you've been around and you've kind of been at the seconds. Oh, sorry, just before I start. Uh, whose ring is this? It's a beautiful flower-shaped ring. If you lost it, uh, it was in the ladies' toilets. I wasn't in the ladies' toilet to find it. I was given it by somebody. So if you have a ring missing, it's looking quite delightful on my pinky. So you're going to have to justify why you should have it back from me. Good morning. It is great to have you here this morning. Uh, we are kind of really kicking into this year. We've got Easter coming up. We've got our, it's called Who's Got Talent, uh, the, the, the talent show. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time. We've got Urban Ignition in the near future. All sorts of exciting stuff that's happening. But in the meantime, in the busyness of life, in the, in the chaos of our everyday, we want to follow Jesus, don't we? We try to do our best. We try and re-spend time with Him. We try and connect with Him. We try and connect with other people. We do all sorts of things. So this morning what I want to do is I want to read. We're going to unpack a scripture, a passage from John John chapter 4, and I'm going to unpack what's on my heart, just reading through the scripture, really connected with me um, over the weekend, and uh, I want to kind of start there. But before I read, I just want to say, you know, one of the things I feel that we as Jesus followers lack in the church today is kindness. I feel like we lack generosity and kindness. And I think if there's any road that we could walk there's any road that uh, we could kind of pave, that we could walk on, that we could kind of ride along would be a road of kindness. There's any foundation that we could invest in, it would be kindness. Because, you know, Jesus was very kind to those people that were different to him. And, you know, the more I watch on the news, the more I read in the newspapers, the more I realize that we're living in one of the most divisive times in human history. Where men and women are using political kind of frenzies to whip up religious groups all over the world to do their bidding. And everything is okay because behind the, and quite frankly, evil veneer of what they're trying to do, they use a scripture to get away with it. And we know, hey, n nothing in history has ever ended well when they try to validate bad things with scripture. The Holocaust, apartheid, and all sorts of political exclusions of people around the world. And so what we do is, as, as, as Christians, without even realizing it, we can sometimes get sucked into this way of dealing with people that are different to us. We can get sucked into this mindset that if you are not a Christian, you are not one of us, therefore stay away. If you subscribe to different beliefs to me, stay away. And so all we do in this modern 21st century world is we hang out in little echo chambers, we only talk to people with the same political minds as us. We only read things or watch news channels that agree with our set of circumstances and our bias. And so as a result of that, we just lose touch with the other side. And friends, there was never meant to be another side. There was never meant to be them and us. There was always meant to be us. Jesus in us and through us. And so I want to read one of the most pertinent, I think, scriptures that speaks to this issue of division today. John chapter 4. See, Jesus knew, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to kind of unpack it uh, word for word. So get ready. It's going to be a long one. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. 
though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Saisha. Saisha. Obviously, early Japanese vibes. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried for, was tired from the long walk. He sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water from? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals that he and his, his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly, speak the, you certainly spoke the truth, sir, the woman said. You must be a prophet. So tell me why it is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while we Samaritans claim here, it is here, at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Then Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when you, it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one who you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. This for the Spirit of God, uh, for God is spirit, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus goes, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back and ruined the conversation. You know, I, I kind of wish they hadn't come back for a little longer. I would really have loved to have kind of continue to see that conversation. But I want to unpack this. So I want to start from the beginning, verse 1. You see, Jesus, where Je it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he would be baptizing and making more disciples than John. So, so Jesus had attracted the attention of the authorities. And basically what, basically what this is intimating is they had already seen the danger and they were already going to start to plan to plot his death. And Jesus knew his time had not come. And so he needed to skedaddle. He wasn't running away because he was scared. He was running, he was moving, and he was shifting around so that he could continue to do what he had been called and put on this earth to do. And so he needs to go from Judea. He needs to go to Galilee. But in order to do that, there's this big, big kind of area of land, geographical area of land known as Samaria. 
And if he was like most Jewish people, to get to Samaria, he would have gone the long way around. You see, Jews and Samaritans were not mates. They did not like each other. And so even though most of his people and his disciples would have preferred to have gone the long way around, even if it would have wasted time, Jesus, for whatever reason, decides to go through Samaria. Which is interesting. Because it's almost like he has an appointment with somebody. You know, Samaria was below par. Samaritans were seen, and this is like a proper definition, according to a Jewish person, of what a Samaritan is, a mongrel Jew. I mean, that's like really offensive. I asked Pips like, last night, I was like, hey, is that, that's a bit too offensive to say, but that's the truth. That's a really good description of what they were thought. In other words, they were not defined in any category. The most common view as to the origin of the Samaritans is that they were a mixed race who developed as a result of intermarriage between early Hebrews and the northern kingdoms of Israel and the Assyrian settlers in Israel following all sorts of captivity and drama back in the day. And there was so much animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. When the Jews, in fact, when they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, uh, the Samaritans offered their services. They're like, hey, you know what, hey, let's, uh, do you, do you wanna be, we want to be friends? We'll help you build the wall of Jerusalem. And they were summarily rebuffed and dismissed. In fact, a historian from the day called Josephus characterizes the Samaritans as idolaters. How do I say that word? Idolaters. 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 And hypocrites. And, you know, there was a Jewish saying that said, may I never set eyes on a Samaritan. That's pretty hectic, guys. That is pretty hectic. And Jesus wants to go through. For whatever reason, Jesus decides he's going to go through Samaria. And so verse 4 says this, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Seisha near a field that Jacob gave to his sons Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tried, tired from a long walk, was sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So just a few things. I want to just sit here for a little bit. Number one, this was a historic place. There was history. Jesus had history here. There was history. His people had history here. This was Jacob's well. This was a place that was famous, and Jesus just happens upon here. Decided to go through Samaria, and decided to stop at this well. But don't you just love the description of Jesus, that he was tired and that he was weary? Friends, Jesus was fully human. Jesus fully experienced the symptoms that humans would experience. In fact, a lot of the historians and theologians say he was actually less fit than what his disciples were, because they had energy to go get food. He didn't. He needed to sit. He needed to rest. Maybe it was the burden of also being God that was tiring him out, but the reality is he's tired, he's weary, and he needs a drink at about noontime. Now, it's quite a random detail, noontime, but it's a very important point at noontime because at noontime, 12 o'clock lunchtime, no one goes to fetch water from the well. And it's strange that Jesus stops by this well. He has no rope, he has no bucket to get the water. Maybe he was going to look left and look right and then go, water, come to me. I don't know if he was going to do that, but the reality is it's almost like he had followed and had seen what his father was doing to this point, a well in Samaria at a time of day where no one went to get water. And then 
you heard footsteps. Rushed footsteps. Footsteps that you can tell that somebody is nervous, you know, like a shuffle, moving. And then he saw her. She came around the corner at 12 o'clock, this woman, rushing, looking a little bit, looking left, looking right, rushing to the well and starting to do the business of getting the water from it. He looks at her and he says, please, can you give me a drink? He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. There was no one around and the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan. Woman, why are you asking me for a drink? He's standing there. He's sitting on the well. He sees this woman coming. Now he knows who she is. He knows her story because he unpacks it a little bit later. He doesn't start with the details as to why she's rushing and not wanting to be seen. You see, friends, if you wanted to get water, okay, and you were Jewish or you were a Samaritan or you lived in that part of the world, the reality is you are a very social group of people. You go to get water together, okay? You go and you have a chat, have a conversation. Oh, did you see uh, Ishmael's new mustache? And, you know, talk about Ishmael's new mustache. Then, you know, you talk about... Uh, uh, Bernie and his uh, new mullet, or I don't know what they do, but they would talk and natter, and all the Jewish mamas would be there getting the water from the well, and the little girls were watching, and yet here's a woman on her own, rushing. You see, friends, she didn't want to be seen. Here's, the, here's an important detail. She was ashamed to have conversations with people because the reality was her conversations with people went like this. They didn't talk to her. They talked about her in her presence. They muttered. They spoke. Oh, look, there she goes. There goes that lady. So she was avoiding the public scrutiny that had kind of that, that like eye of Mordor that was like really focused. She didn't want to bump into anybody. And Jesus asks her for water. Jesus becomes the beggar. Jesus asks her for something. He submits himself to the role of a beggar, asking, do you have some water for me? He does not start with what he knows about her. Because, he, because unbeknownst to her, Jesus knows why she comes to draw water out the well at 12 o'clock. He humbles herself before her. He appeals to her better nature. Isn't it amazing? This conversation hasn't even started, and he already knows how to handle the situation, how to show kindness to somebody that he doesn't, shouldn't be showing kindness to. He speaks as a Jewish man to a Samaritan woman. Friends, the heart of God is not bound by our prejudice. The heart of God is not bound by our prejudice. See, the Jewish attitude, not just to Samaritans, but to women, was less than ideal. While the Old Testament actually afforded women great dignity, the, the, as the kind of years had gone on and the men had gotten more powerful and more full of themselves, the Hebrews over the years had imbibed some attitudes of paganism about women into their culture. Many Jewish men started the day with this prayer, basically saying, Thank you, Lord, that I am not a woman. A Hebrew man did not talk to a woman in the street, not even with his mother, sister, daughter, or wife. And some guy called William Barclay says this. There's even a, a group of, uh, he used to describe the Pharisees as the, 
a group of Pharisees called bleeding and bruised, bruised Pharisees because when they saw women approaching, they just duck, dive left and right, bruise themselves, hurt themselves against the pillar because they were just so disgusted by what they saw. They would rather throw themselves into harm's way than actually have a conversation with the woman. And Jesus says to this person, can you give me something to drink? See, the heart of God is not bound by our prejudice. Jesus confronts a racist bigotry and gender discrimination all at the same time. One foul swoop. He handles the situation where no one is watching. He treats somebody of a different gender to him. He treats somebody that he should never even talk to because of the culture that they come from. And he treats this person with kindness. Friends, we can learn from this. We can learn from this interaction. I can't go into this properly today because we'll be here for far too long. But we need an overdose of this in our lives. We can't sit idly by. We cannot afford, as Jesus followers in the 21st century, to sit idly by while politicians call people who seek asylum animals. It happened this week. It's disgusting. We can't sit idly by while women today in the 21st century are still paid less than men, even when they do the same job. Hashtag not cool. As Jesus followers, we need to confront these issues. Not with pickets and with weapons and with berets, but with kindness and with compassion. And treating those that have been harmed by the society that has been built by powerful, by actually a society that's been built built by powerful white men, we need to be there to be kind and loving and secure to people who need that so desperately from us. Jesus confronted these barriers, not with arguments, not with theological papers, but with kindness and with compassion. And he says to her, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you the living water. Jesus speaks of a gift the Greek term for this gift is doria, used only here in the gospel accounts, which actually signifies and means a free gift. A free gift stimulates anybody's interest. We all want something for free. He uses, symbol, he uses the symbolism to, that is appropriate for the occasion. He mentions living water. They're standing next to a well. He's using a very good example. Water that bestows life. This could mean something quite significant to a person who's feeling dead inside. He associates these blessings with a who. He suggests that she was talking at this very moment to somebody special. A well, a living well of living water. You see, there was a great deal of subtle information packed into a seemingly ordinary statement. It was, in fact, the gospel in miniature. Jesus is speaking of the new life that he will give, a life connected with the activity of the Holy Spirit. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would I get this living water? Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his, and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 
she still had absolutely no clue who was standing before her. Jesus is talking about the new life of the new creation. Hence, he will always be, this is something that Spurgeon says, okay? He will always be contented. He who has grace in his heart is a happy man. He grows more and more satisfied with the grace as it wells up increasingly in living power in his character and life. Oh, if you have never received that living water, may God give to you just give it to you just now. You shall never regret receiving it, but you shall rejoice over it evermore. See, one can keep on drinking, keep on drinking this water that's in the well, and you'll be thirsty again. But anyone who takes this deep gulp of the living water that Jesus is speaking about won't thirst again. The Lord went on to point out that the spiritual water of which he spoke would become bountiful fountains issuing an in, in internal life. He's talking about salvation here. Don't you want to be? Don't you want that? Don't you want your friends to have that? Then she says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come and get water here again. She still hasn't got it. She still hasn't got it. But you know what she has heard displays and what she says there displays her desperation. I won't have to come here again to get water. I won't have to come here again to get judged. I won't have to come here again and face the consequences of the choices in my life. I won't have to come here and get spoken about behind my back. I won't have to come here and, and endure being talked about in a negative sense, being pushed aside, being spoken un, uh, not nicely about, all that stuff. I don't, I don't want to come here again. So can you give me this water, please? Because I, I would quite like to never have to come to a well again. Isn't it interesting as human beings, we, we, we first want to deal with what makes life easy for us, don't we? We, we want an easy fix. So her, it's an easy fix for her. It's like, drink the water, don't come back here. I can run away from my problems. I don't have to deal with the consequences of my sin. Let me just have a quick fix here, and then I don't have to come back here ever again. She does not want to return to where she is disgraced. But listen to what Jesus says next. Go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right that you don't have a husband, for you have had five. And you aren't even married to the man you're living now, with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, now she's flabbergasted. Because she's been like, hasn't told anything about herself. She's been trying to get in and out of the situation, get the living water, whatever that means for her, get away so she doesn't have to come back here. Now this man, very kindly and gently, starting a conversation very kindly and gently, enters into this deeper stuff that she's battling with inside. She says, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is that all, why is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? That is called a duck and weave. That is called deflection. Yes, you're right. However, I want to speak to you about this issue uh, that's really been bugging me. Uh, why do, uh, you know, Men come from Mars and women come from Venus. How does it work? Uh, change the subject completely. Let's just figure it out. Don't have to deal with my stuff. Hey? 
that speaks to us as well here. I mean, we read the story, we want to learn from Jesus, but actually we really, really sympathize and get the woman at the same time, don't we? As human beings, it's what we do. Standing before Jesus exposes us in our sinfulness. Jesus is not publicly shaming her. This is the reason why she came to the well at 12. She didn't want to be publicly shamed. And she bumped into somebody at 12 at the well. And she wasn't publicly shamed. Jesus knew. Jesus knows that she needs to deal with the impact of her choices and how they have messed her life up. See, it's very easy. She could have just gone away and not dealt with the issue and not experienced the living water that she's just about to get. Just about to get a real Holy Spirit dose of living water. But she, she didn't have to do that. She could have just run away and not dealt with it. You see, friends, there are so many people who come to church. They get their living water so that they don't have to come back here again, and then they're gone, living their lives. They haven't experienced the truth of what the living water means. Face the consequence of your sin. Die to yourself. Admit to Jesus that he is king and we can get on with our lives. But people don't like to do that. We like to hold our destiny in our hands. We very much battle to let it go into the hands of the Father. It, Spurgeon says this, It was no use putting on plasters where there was no knowledge of a sore, and no use attempting to fill a void where there was no feeling of emptiness. So first, she must be brought low. She must be made to see herself in the glass of truth. And then she would begin to understand her need of salvation. Friends, Jesus doesn't make us aware of our sinfulness to embarrass us. We are made aware of our sinfulness so that we understand our need for salvation. So we understand what we are lacking so that we can get that deep, deep, delicious drink of that living water. So I just want to kind of skip a little bit on. Jesus declares, I am the Messiah to her. After he unpacks some stuff. I mean, you remember that thing where he, she's asking, like he tells her, soon there will be a time uh, when, you know, the Jews, uh, believe me, dear woman, there is a time coming where it will no longer matter where you worship uh, the Father. On this mountain or in Jerusalem, your, your Samar you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we were Jews, uh, we know all about him. So he gives her that kind of, that, that, that speech, you know, that really good speech, like a really good motivational thing. And you know what, eh? Jesus is just saying, I'm the Messiah, man. Just chill. It, the, it, it is not the place which makes a true worship. It is the heart. It's not the place that is said to be holy and therefore prayer is accepted. Every place is equally holy where holy men and women gather. Jesus is pointing out the coming inclusivity, inclusivity of, the, of the gospel. Soon there will be a time. Not going to matter. Jesus was on earth to speak and, and deal and minister and love and care for the Jews and remind them of what their kind of mandate was. But very soon after that, when the dreams happened and the, and the gates were opened and Jews and Gentiles were kind of welcomed into this family together, there was no Greek nor Jew or Samaritan, no male or female, but just Jesus' followers. And then the conversation's ruined. The disciples come back, and I, I got a bit bummed with them. I was like, come on, guys, give us a few more moments of this incredible, beautiful moment. You know what I liken this moment to in my life? I'll be honest with you, hey? 
It is when I am in a rush and I'm trying to get in my car and my car started and gone before a car guard gets within a few meters of my car. Yeah, you know, like, it's serious. You know, I had a conversation with my mate. He's one of the most educated people I know, and he's a car guard. And, and you know what he said to me? He said, one of the things I battle with the most is when people give me money. I was like, oh, I thought that was the point. And he said, no, the way people give me money is they very, very purposely make sure that they drop the money into my hands, so that they don't touch my hand. I'm, I'll, I'm guilty of that. And, and I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of us here are guilty of that. Not the fact that it's the car guard and the power dynamic of that, no, but people that are different to us, that look different to us, that act different to us. You see, a while ago, I was uh, at the office, and a message came up on my phone from those neighborhood watch people. They're strange fellows, but Jesus loves them. Scandal. Four people. And very definitely telling everybody on the group the color of these people. Are sitting on the road. There's a man that is lying. He is clearly drunk. And there is litter everywhere. They must, it must be dealt with. Someone replies, I agree. Someone replies, yes, we must deal with this. I go over my dead body. I get in my car. I drive there, park my car, and go and sit with them on the corner of the street. Now, this is a family who come every Wednesday. They're incredible recyclers. They've got the cutest little, little girl called Luca. Beautiful, beautiful little thing. It's just fun, and I've got Luca on my lap, and we're chilling, and I can check. I can check all the neighbors checking like this over the wall, those brave neighbors and their WhatsApp groups watching. And, you know, I told a couple of people this, and some people are like, wow, and other people are like, are you mad? Why would you do that? That's dangerous. Well, I said, well, it's not really dangerous, because I can run fast, so that's my... That's my get-out-of-jail-free car. But the reality is, the guy that was lying down, whose name was Alfred, wasn't lying down because he was drunk. He actually had been run over the day before and was in lots of pain. And he had been gone to hospital, had been turned away, doesn't have the wonderful medical aids that I have, had to stand in a hospital queue for four hours, turned away, had to go back the next day. He's passed out in pain. So I sat and chatted with him and prayed with him. And then... The, the, the security guard is there, and he's like now being sent the bidding to go and clear the kind of situation. And I'm just thinking, no, 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 we sorted it out. Very kind man, handled the situation really, really well. And I thought, you know, sometimes as human beings, we can just be so cruel. We just can be cruel. We might not mean to be, but our actions do speak louder than what we think we think about ourselves. And so... I just sat there, and you know, it's like the disciples come back from this situation. There I was, me, and wearing what I'm wearing, okay? Dressed nicely, or at least I think so. Sitting on a pavement with a, a, a homeless kid on my lap who is incredibly dirty, and I'm OCD. 
that I put that aside for this moment. And I've got his mom, her mom, sorry, sitting right next to me, who is also very different to me, looks different, talks different, smells everything. Jesus is standing talking to a Samaritan woman. It looked very bizarre. And the disciples say, what the heck are you doing? Why are you talking with her? What are you talking with her about? We just left you, Jesus. We just left you for flipping five minutes and you go and speak to the person you can't speak to. Come on, man. She leaves her bucket of water behind. She runs off into her village where she once was ashamed and now she didn't care about it because she had met and had been given her true identity and had been shown kindness beyond anything she had ever experienced. And she changed a village. And you know what is so funny and ironic about this? The Samaritans, who the Jews despised, got Jesus before they did. The Samaritans got Jesus before the Jews did. They encountered him. They believed in him. Something that still to this day, the Jews don't get. The Samaritans, the group that they despise, got it. Why? Number one, they'll show in kindness. But number two, they just believed. So what can we learn from this story? See, friends, I, I was quite, I've been reading in the news, and, and I must be honest, I've got to be very careful with what I read and what I expose myself to because I get really angry at the injustices that we are seeing at the moment all over the world. You know, Pope Francis said something really cool the other day. He said, when you, he who builds a wall is imprisoned by that wall. Sometimes we have to go places where we're not supposed to go and talk with people we're not supposed to talk to because that's what people say. But the heart of the Father is not bound by our own prejudices. He doesn't think about that group of people the way you think about that group of people. You know why? He created that group of people. He loves that group of people. See, we want to build walls. We want to live in homogenous communities where everybody's the same and it's easy. But Jesus saw whoever was in front of him, regardless. Full stop. And he loved whoever was in front of him, regardless. So I really want to encourage you today. I implore you. I'm even using an old-fashioned word. That's how serious I am this morning. Church, Binyard Church in Durban. Let's be people of love. Let's be people of kindness. Let us encounter people that are different to us, that even believe what we believe is stupid. And let us be kind and let's give them a chance to figure out who they are in the presence of God as opposed to us telling them who they're supposed to be because of how we want them to look and act. You see, some of us att attach ourselves to the story differently. Some of us really kind of sink in with the compassion that Jesus shows this woman. And you know, other, others of us 
identify with the woman. We identify with the way she's been treated. And we long to be shown kindness the way that Jesus showed her kindness. So this morning, I would love us just to spend a little bit of time just waiting on God and getting Him and asking Him to just massage the kindness of the Savior into our lives. Let's stand. As we stand, I just want to remind us of a few things. Number one, the power of prayer. The power of prayer is a great thing. We have an election coming up in a few weeks. Pray for the election. Let's ask God to really move for it to be peaceful, for people to go and to be proud of doesn't matter what party people tick, that they get to be part of the democratic process. Let's pray that God uses South Africa to become an apple in the eye of the world. Let's pray that, guys. So number one, this morning, I want us to pray for that. I want to pray for peace. It's not by accident that the news is what it is, okay? The enemy doesn't like stability. And then the second thing is, I just want, if you, if you associate yourself this morning with, with what Jesus did, and you feel like you need a little bit more kindness to those people that are different to you, or those people that do business to you, or even those people who have cheated you out of money, or have done certain things that you despise, then the prayer is, Father, show me your kindness, that I would see people how you see people. And then there's some of us this morning who feel like the woman at the well. We are embarrassed by the choices that we've made. We are condemned by the consequences of those choices. And we are desperate for an encounter with the Father. That He would show us kindness that we so desperately crave. That He would give you this morning the rest, the shalom of His presence into your heart. And so, Father, we welcome you in this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we... We declare this morning, as Vineyard Church in Durban, we declare your shalom over our country in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we get to have democratic elections. And so we ask that this next six weeks, as we lead up to this time, we speak peace. We speak calm over areas that are tense. We ask you to send people that are Jesus followers into areas to be peacemakers. We ask for peacemakers more than ever Jesus. We are desperate for this country to rise and become the apple of the eye of this world. And so, Jesus, we ask that you use us to be encouragers. Use us to speak words of encouragement and words of affirmation over this country. We don't need any more negativity, Lord. We need Jesus followers that have hope for the future because of Jesus Christ within us. And I just want to lift up all of those this morning who are desperate to be able to show more kindness in their lives. If that's you, everyone's eyes are closed. There's no shame here. There's no need to be embarrassed. Just raise your hand. 
Just raise your hand. Father, I pray those people whose hands are raised, that you would shower them with your mind, that they would experience your wisdom, and they would see people how you see people, and they would experience your words to go and be kind. Jesus, I thank you for that. And for those of us who feel like the woman at the well, just lift your hand up where you are. Just lift your hand up. Father, I just pray that you would just shower with kindness. That there is no need to hide. Be with us this week as we go into this world, into our work environments. Father, we want to be agents for change because Jesus lives within us. And the, His hope is our currency. Amen. Thanks for being with us.